Hey Jess, are we in the future? Uh, we're about to be in three, two. I'm Jo Lafore. I head up the Foresight team for North America as part of our newly formed global Foresight team. I'm Jess Southard, and I'm essentially Joe, but at a Mars Inc. level, where I've been leading foresight and trends work as part of MGS Insights. Welcome to Future Imagined, a brand new and exciting foresight podcast powered by MGS Insights. So Jess, we've been talking about the future as we embark on this reinvention that we're all on to be more future focused. We're going to chat with lots of different industry experts and leaders with futurists and some of the smartest brains inside of Mars, yourself included, Jess. I kind of think of it all like a really cool and exciting book that you can't put down. Today is really the preface, anchoring in you how we got to this point and what do we see really unfolding over the next 12 months. And then coming out of this, we'll do additional episodes, deep diving into a couple of different topics, really starting to push us a bit further out, thinking 2025 and beyond. What we're hoping is that it gives you a small moment in the week to just stop what you're doing. Maybe you're walking your dog like I do when I'm listening to podcasts and just focus on the future. Give yourself some time to think about the potentialities of what's to come and in particular, how you yourself can shape it starting today. Close your eyes, imagine, almost transport yourself into what we're deeming the future, but probably isn't that far out based off the conversation today, really thinking 2021. Yeah, unless you are walking your dog, then don't close <laughs> don't your eyes. Don't close your eyes. <laughs> Jess, 2020 was a bit of an abnormal year. A lot of words being thrown around like unprecedented. But I think what's really wonderful about what 2020 has enabled is the sort of internal reset that people have had. So a lot of people are calling it the happiness reset, a reevaluation of what I actually find meaningful in my life. And that's been afforded to us because we've had more time spent with my family at home. A lot of people have got pets. The ability to really think about how do I take care of myself and the things that are important around me. And then also, I guess, at the flip side of that, the bad things that we've been exposed to throughout 2020. So it's made us really stop and think about what is it in my life that makes me happy, that gives me meaning, and how can I change what I'm doing to get more out of my life? The fact of the matter is that the world is constantly changing, but there are some really big statements being thrown around. This is the great reset. This is the next normal or the new normal. And it's down to us to create the future that we want. So things could go back to normal. The question really is, do people want things to go back to normal based on how they experienced 2020 and I guess the inflection point from the last decade? Well, and even just the term next normal, even if you have the word next in front of it, people still sort of gravitate to this idea of normalcy. Whereas I think we're learning, given the pace of change and, and how volatile the current external environment is, I don't think we'll see any sort of normalcy for probably another 12 to 24 months. Mm. And that's very different from what we had originally hypothesized last March. I think we landed on this idea that once a vaccination was announced, we would revert back to some sort of next normal by Q1 of this year. Yeah, our predictions around how quickly we would be able to come out of lockdown in markets around the world has been a lot slower than what we anticipated. 
That's obviously had an impact on the economic situation around the world, but also on a couple of other things like business optimism. So the leaders around the world are very slowly coming back into an optimistic state, but the majority of them, particularly around Asia Pacific, Europe, Latin America, the US are still fairly pessimistic. There's also consumer confidence, which we probably don't look at often enough, but it's still significantly lower than what it was pre-pandemic. And that's not necessarily a surprise, but the recovery period is going to be a lot longer than what we had first thought. So we're saying a recovery throughout 2021, a certain level of uncertainty that will remain there. And then as we come into 2022, this sort of rebuilding of the recovery period. So what we're calling this resilient recovery. When you're in something for six to 12 months, it's easy to apply a very optimistic mindset and think we can just power through it and eventually six to 12 months be back to where we were before versus having something go on much longer, I think really does force a very different mindset. We can't just sit on the sidelines when really we've got two to three more years potentially of this, especially as we think globally to some of the emerging markets. Yeah, it's a really great point. And it's definitely a lot of the questions that we're getting from the business at the moment is looking at those behaviors, the reaction from consumers, but also how they're feeling, what emotions they're experiencing, and what new rituals and occasions are coming out of this extended recovery period. I think one of the biggest ones that's very self-evident is the work from home situation. And we know that the global workforce now has been changed. It's the work from home experiment of 2020 that's now extending into 2021 and beyond. What's the biggest shift that you've seen from this new remote working situation? When we did the work early last year, we thought about each of these behavior changes as very discrete work from home versus restaurant grocery delivery versus streaming in-home entertainment versus supporting local communities and traveling locally. And for me, the aha has been the role that your physical location actually plays in terms of cueing some of those other behaviors. And so for me, the longer remote working stays the more likely some of those other at-home behaviors are also likely to stay. What we're likely to see is some semblance of the global workforce working remotely, and I think we've read anywhere between 20 and 30% through the end of 2021 and into 2022. That's a big radical shift from what it was prior to COVID. Yeah, there's estimates that it's three to four times higher than it was before. I think that what's really interesting about the entire work from home situation is that it was on that trajectory leading up until 2020. So we saw that up to 70% of global workers wanted more from their employers. And there was this sort of maybe a lack of infrastructure slash a hesitation from businesses to give that trust to employees. So we sort of needed this experiment in place to be able to enable that. All of the data is telling us now that 80% of company leaders are saying that they're going to support remote work at least a part of the time. Almost half are saying that they're supporting full-time remote work. And obviously that opens things up around being able to be a little bit more flexible with making adjustments to what kind of physical office you need, how do you build collaboration with teams, what additional mm -hmm. infrastructure you might need to support effective and productive work. We know from a multitude of social science and behavioral economic studies that people want these types of benefits over a pay rise. I think it's really almost simple to say 2020 is 
something that created this work from home situation and demand, but it has definitely been something that's been in high demand or in high desirability for people leading up to 2020 as well. There's a really beautiful quote by William Gibson, who's a really famous futurist, who says, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. When we hypothesized last year around what would stay and go, we did have a principle of things that were easier than the prior default were likely to stick and things that had already been in play but maybe hadn't just accelerated were also likely to stick and if anything, excel. Another good one that speaks to that is e-commerce. I think that what's really interesting with e-com and decom is that it's enabled a shift in behavior for people. So they're not necessarily buying more online versus what they would have bought otherwise. It's just a change of where they obtain what they want to obtain. It's enabling people to get access to a broader array of things to think about their eating occasions differently. And certainly it's impacted the restaurant industry during those sort of nine to five hours when they would normally get their breakfast and their coffee and their lunch at work. A lot of people have made that shift into buying online. We know that people are really wanting greater variety, things like supporting local communities. I want to see more of my local brands, my local coffee shop, my local grocer, and to be able to access their products online. And so what we saw in 2020 was the global online revenue reach a staggering $3.9 trillion. The more innovation that we see in this space and the continuation of consumer adoption of that behavior will enable further growth. So if I were to shift gears, what would you say is some of the ugly from 2020? Things that maybe revealed a bit darker side of society. One of the things that's really self-evident that's right in front of us is the inequality that's come about. So there's people in different wealth spectrums that have been impacted. There's obviously racial differences. There's different impacts across different parts of the world as well that we probably don't talk about enough. It's that broader umbrella of unequal impact. But there's also sort of the softer side of mental health issues, which is stress and anxiety. And we know that's been quite exponentially growing. 70% of people in the US are saying that they experience this. And we know that this is a lot higher for those that are under 24 there's this sort of added anxiety that's been caused from inability to work, but also the inability to effectively cope, the elevated pressures that are currently in play. And also when we talk about mental health and stress and anxiety, they seem like really big problems and how do you tackle them? People are really struggling with the inability to switch their mindset, so to create some sort of separation, particularly those people who are sort of stuck at home and they're switching between being the worker and being the mum and being the person going to the gym. It's all sort of in this one environment. Everything's sort of packed on top of each other. I used to have a one-hour train trip into the city and I loved it. I used to love sitting on the train, squished up against people. I used to get my laptop out and it would be like that one hour of work that I could get done in complete peace. And it would allow me to have this really nice sort of reset moment between being in the office and collaborating versus being by myself and getting some work done and getting some quiet. I can completely relate to that. I'm really missing that reset. And that sort of inability for people at home as well to be able to separate the parts of their lives and to alleviate the pressure a little bit to have that moment of quiet is another thing that we're seeing is quite missing. So I feel 
feel like we've talked a lot about the topics that you and I are really passionate about. I know a really hot topic across the business and, and even externally is this idea of sustainability. And it's one that really last March and April, we called out as a wild card. In the peak of the pandemic, this is going to be much lower order relative to getting access to food, feeling safe, and some of those hygiene-related concerns. But it's one that we had anticipated could come back and rear its ugly head coming out of the pandemic. What are your thoughts on sustainability in terms of what that's going to look like? And more specifically, what you think people are going to really need from businesses and or brands? It very much links into one of the things that we're going to highlight in future episodes around those shifts in the new normal. And it's around people really taking more self-control when it comes to sustainability. So people are finding, for lack of a better term, that they're being a lot more hands-on and they're much more aware of the full life cycle of the products that they're using. They're very much aware of the growing waste problem. They're trying to create more things themselves. If you think about the growth of things like the sewing influences or the gardening influences, you know, some of these things that allow you to be a little bit more thrifty and a little bit more hands-on and in control of your own consumption and waste are really being embraced by consumers. So I think first and foremost, it really starts there. But there have been a lot of negatives or the dark side to some of these things. What are some of the ones that you've seen, Jess? I have to comment. I've never been a huge eco-conscious consumer. I just wasn't raised that way. You know, I'm physically located in Tennessee, not necessarily on the West Coast where we're into all these trends. As a mom, being home with my three kiddos, my husband cooking three meals a day, being very conscious of how much food gets thrown out, how much waste is generated, how materialistic we've become. I think this Christmas really hit me how it's just this rat race of how many things can I buy? How many things can I buy? And I know it's hard to separate, you know, the Southern household from America and what we've sort of associated with all the different holidays. I absolutely feel that coming out of this, you're going to be seeing people realize how much waste they are generating in both literal terms and then the domino effect. And you're going to see a more conscious shift away from that to things that matter. I would love to switch gears and talk about the things that completely don't require ownership. The feelings of comfort that we get, particularly around entertainment. As I shared, I've got three little ones and we were constantly trying new ideas to keep them entertained. There was massive tension of how much screen time my children got when I had them home with me for five months and was attempting to be a productive worker. We attempted things just as simple as hide-and-go-seek, chalk drawings, bubbles, dress-up, things that didn't necessarily require toys or spending a ton of money. And we saw a lot of families take that up as what we called out in early 2020 years, back to nature. People starting to spend more time outdoors, even if it's just in my small backyard or my balcony or going for a walk in the neighborhood. We're starting to see things like wilderness retreats and watching the stars and camping and exploring the local area around you really start to uptake as well. Mm. I'd love to know what the downside of all of that is, because often when we talk about 2020, it sounds like this great time of leisure and spending more time just relaxing and it feels like an excess of time. But in reality, what we know is that a lot of people felt like they were running out of time and, and they felt like they didn't really have enough time to be able to do everything that they needed to do and everything that they needed to be. I'd love to talk a little bit more about that fatigue 
and how is that going to impact some of those future routines? I think first off, you have to acknowledge that how each of us experienced COVID really differed, right? It differed via life stage. It differed via market. It differed via people with children, no children in a city, outside a city. And so I think we want to acknowledge that there is no sort of one size fits all. To your point around fatigue, I absolutely agree with that. And I think there's two key points. One is we fundamentally don't like uncertainty as human beings, right? Our, our brains are sort of genetically predisposed to think about what's next. The added uncertainty in this complexity of last year and not being able to plan and think about what's next just made us feel very uncomfortable and added to a lot of that anxiety. I think another point that we would be absolutely remiss in not mentioning is the infobesity in terms of information. I think we were what did I call it? It was like doomsday scrolling at the very beginning where people were just watching this unfold on our smartphones across the world. We're all living in this just emotionally charged, digitally connected world where it's so hard to step away and put our phones down. But I do think coming out of this, you're going to see a much more concerted effort to sort of detox or at least remove the things from your life that aren't making you feel good, that are eroding your sense of self-worth <laughs> and optimism in the world. I don't know how many people I've spoken to that said they deleted their news apps from their phone, or they intentionally try and avoid social media and or the news. So I think those two variables, to your point on anxiety, I think we're finally at the point where we're somewhat acknowledging what is causing that fatigue, what is causing that anxiety, and at least trying to minimize those things in our lives. We often talk about the U.S. and everything that's happened in the U.S. in 2020 has been quite significant, not just for that market, but for the rest of the world. But even if I look at a place like Australia, which you know is quite centralist. We've had it fairly easy when it comes to COVID-19. I guess China would be a similar situation where both markets have been able to get a control out of the situation fairly quickly. And we're now in this sort of state of recovery after the second wave or the third wave. And there are systems in place to help support a pretty speedy recovery. Even in those markets, people are feeling fatigue of this thing just going on and on and I guess this lean in as a result of that kindness, a little bit of a slowdown to take care of myself and the people that are important to me. Definitely a lean into what you mentioned as well around creativity and discovery and trying to make things a little bit more interesting in a way that I'm in control of so I can help to inject that into my life. And also health. That's one that we didn't touch on too much today, but obviously we know that people particularly during lockdown, they tend to eat a lot less healthily. They lean into those comfort foods and then they feel this feeling of guilt and shame and have this ambition to move away from that and rebalance their health. Food and particular chocolate and treats, they play a really important role in people's lives of alleviating stress. We've done some fantastic studies in this space where we actually monitor people's moods and emotions. And we know that when people are in a state of boredom or stress, that's the moment when they lean into chocolate. It's not a huge surprise, uh, but we've been able to quantify that. And that's a positive thing. The important thing is that we help people to 
obtain some form of balance in their lives and give them a variety of options that they can try to create a healthier, not only body, but also mindset and alleviation from the stresses and the buildup of anxiety they're starting to feel throughout Mm -hmm. their day. So I think it's going to be a really interesting time as we look at 2021 and what that's going to hold for people. I think my prediction, if I end on that, and obviously in Foresight, we don't do predictions. We do scenario plannings and the dark side of scenarios. So I'm going to land on what I think is probably the most likely scenario out of 2021. And I really do think based on all of the evidence that we're seeing is that we will have a very slow recovery in 21. We're not going to see this return back to normal in quarter three like we originally thought. It will take longer, but it will mean is that people as time goes on will build an even stronger resilience and adaptability and the ability to plan for plan B, plan C, and what I'm going to do to react to this extension of this recovery state. Jess, what would your crystal ball be telling you? Oh, I don't know if I have a prediction, but I absolutely will piggyback off of you and say I think 2021 is going to be a lot more similar to 2020 than what we'd originally thought. How do we leverage the disruption in the current external environment to do things that we never would have thought were possible or that we never thought we could ever do? And disruption can definitely bring chaos but I'm an optimist and feels it can also be massive opportunities. So I think if there was ever a time to reposition a brand, to launch a category adjacency, to really think about your pack and price architecture differently, to take all the claims off, or to really double down on some of these DTC business models, the e-commerce environment, partner with our our enemies, quote unquote, right? I think this is the time to lean into those things. I think we can also lean into what we currently have. And in particular, if I think it's no longer relevant anymore because people aren't on the go, they're on the go inside of their house. They're trying to create a focus when they're working or when they're studying. They're trying to create these multi-sensorial moments where they're lighting a candle or they're putting perfume on before they start a meeting. They're trying to reset their minds. What role could our portfolio be playing in that? And then there's also the in-home entertainment experience where people are, like I said before, fully decking out their entertainment system. They're trying to create this multi-sensorial immersive environment inside of their home where it's like my entertainment option first is my in-home and then I can go out of my home. They're taking so much pride and enjoyment and satisfaction out of that. What role could our products play to enhance that experience? I think there's a huge potential for us to amplify the portfolio that we currently have to you know, make those moments even better for people. And I think we've talked a lot about business models, portfolio, products. I think there's so much we can lean into, Joe, in terms of brand content and communications. How many people have been impacted last year and even the start of this year? Just something simple that says, celebrate yourself. Celebrate the everyday hero. Let's say thanks to the moms that became superhumans (laughs) overnight. Let's say thanks to the Macy's and the the dogs who stood by our side and kept us company. I think... There's something to be said about celebrating the hero in all of us, because whether we admit it or not, we did make it through last year, and that's a lot to be proud of. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So, Joe, we decided to call this podcast Future Imagined, but I feel like a lot of what we've talked over the last however many minutes focused on last year and sort of 2021, which 
doesn't really feel future-esque. We have a couple pieces of work in progress, and we'll be sharing via upcoming episodes and chapters, really digging into two of them. What are a couple of the big shifts that you feel we really need to lean into thinking five years out? Once we start to go into that transform next normal that we've been talking about for over a year, we're going to start to see an acceleration of some of the behaviors that have started out of 2020 and 2021. They'll be scaled up, they'll get a lot more innovation in play, and they'll get a lot higher consumer adoption as well. So we've highlighted five of the really big ones, and two of them we've actually talked about quite a lot in this podcast today, and it's renewed purpose, as we've called it. People taking more self-accountability for being a little bit more thrifty and being really responsible for the use of their products and repurposing the types of materials that we're using in the industry, as well as minimizing their own waste. So we're going to see expansion and exploration into that. And within the podcast for that episode, we're going to talk about one of my all-time favorite topics, which is biotechnology. Look out for that. The other one that we've mentioned is what we've called inside out, and that sort of alleviation of the restrictions that we've put on ourselves to be this perfect human being, a calming and an introspection around what makes me happy and how do I want to spend my time and who do I want to spend my time with. The ones that we haven't mentioned too much are three of the other shifts that we're going to start to see into this next normal one that we're going to start to see coming straight out of the recovery period. It's what we've called the joy of misbehaving. Think about the way that we've been living our lives up until 2020 as a bit of an inflection point. It's the things that have been run by numbers, as we call it. We've been watching the numbers of infections and deaths. We've been able to go out for 90 minutes at a time within five kilometers with three people. It's sort of life by numbers that we're trying to now break out of as we come into the next normal. So we'll see things like revenge spending. We'll see things like luxury but luxury as an experience or as a feeling. So this is really where we start to see things like the new value equation trend really play into it. So yes, people will be breaking rules and being a little bit rebellious, or maybe it's bending rules, exploring themselves. It'll be a sense of self-expression and creativity that is born out of this, but it'll be in a positive way. So this attribution that people have to what actually adds meaning into my life and what is meaningful for the world around me will play a role in that. So we'll explore that in an episode. More backpacking across Europe. Backpacking across <laughs> Europe. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Once we can actually get over there in 2025. <laughs> the other one that we're going to unpack is what we've called presence-free living. And this is really an evolution of how we engage with the technological environment around us. So if you think about connected and fluid lives as a macro trend, what is the evolution of that? What is our relationship with technology going to be like? Because we've talked a fair bit about people wanting to really switch off and minimize the amount of content that they're digesting to really create positivity in that online environment, to not have tech be this cold, disruptive force in our lives. So this shift towards technology really enabling greater freedoms for people is something that we'll explore. And then the last is one that's really overarching across all of the shifts, which is what we've called adaptability. 
We know that chaos is sprinkled into life. And if we know that disruption is coming, why aren't we better prepared for it? So we're going to start to see people really taking off that sort of restrictive lens that they've put on their lives or their businesses or their governments and start to think about how they can completely restructure or change the restrictions around how they operate today. And that starts from inside of a multi-purpose home through to organizations, you know, really adapting their supply chain model or their distribution model right through to governments. If you think about something like the Amsterdam Donut City model that they've implemented, so it can have far spanning reach. And it's a really, really exciting one that will allow us to think very differently about how we can structure how we operate. So what we're going to do over the following chapters, as you've called them, is really dive into each of these shifts that we're going to see in the Transform Next Normal, talking with some of the smartest brains inside of Mars, but we're also going to have external thinkers come and give us that perspective and provocation. We will be the ones shaping the future that we want to see both for ourselves as individuals, but also for the company. So we hope you feel empowered to enact the change that you want to see. Because we truly do believe that we all have to be curious together. This is Joe. This is Jess. Stay curious. Stay curious.